With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Hoagie Hangover Podcast. I am Andrew Alex from ESPN Radio here in the Paris of the New River Valley, Blacksburg, Virginia. I am joined today for the first time in a long time by both of the usual suspects. Yes, the band is back together again. First, somewhere in Northern Virginia, the man of the hour. He's all over the place. We have Mike McDaniel. Mike, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. It's good to be back, Andrew. Yes, no, indeed, it is good to be back. And during these off-season months, primarily, you know, this when basketball ends and when there's a whole lot not necessarily going on in the world of Virginia Tech, it gets a little bit harder and, and, and things get in the way. But what hasn't stopped, unlike last year, is the Masters. And Mike, you're in my, well, not my pool, but our good friend Jimmy Cleveland's brother-in-law, Max, has a little Masters pool. And, and, and you were doing pretty well there for a minute. What, what are your thoughts on day one? Um, I was a little bit surprised that Justin Rose shot seven under when nobody could really hold a green all day uh, with how baked out the greens were and the wind in the afternoon. I was surprised that he was able to shoot 65 in those conditions. That was my biggest takeaway. Yeah, no, I mean, no kidding. And, you know, by the time a lot of people listen to this podcast tomorrow, Justin Rose will either be deep into the lead and having a great second day or doing what Justin Rose does and blowing it on day two. But Ricky LeBlue, did you catch any Masters today, my friend? I got to ask. Very little. Tried to follow it when I was at work today. I was very disappointed to see my boy Phil punting on the back nine. He's old, old, man. It's it's tough. It's it's tough to see him down, but it is what it is. I know, but I want to see him win one more really bad. Um, But no, he too. He completely punted on the back, uh, which was frustrating. So we'll uh, we'll see how the rest of the tournament goes. But this week every year is always a really good week because baseball has just started. You have the Masters this weekend. Um, two of my favorite things in sports happening at the same time. I must acknowledge because I am not an Orioles fan, and Ricky LeBlue is an Orioles fan. My father was an Orioles fan before he moved to New York City in his early 20s, became a Mets fan, and hence the fact that I am a Mets fan. But we do have a big soft spot for the Orioles in the Alex family. And the Orioles, first weekend of the year, taking care of business against the Boston Red Sox. Mike McDaniel's Boston Red Sox. Cedric Mullins hits everything that comes to him. Ricky, just say what you got to say to Mike. Um, I'm going to be humble because the Sox beat us today. So Fair. Fair. Four straight. Um, our, our offense is pretty bad. Like, 
like Cedric's been good. Santander has been okay. Everyone else had, or Sevy's been all right. Nobody else really knows what's going on. And then the bullpen, man, I'm not really feeling how Brandon Hyde has managed it so far. There's a few guys that have been terrific out there, but I feel like he's putting some guys in some bad spots. But the Orioles are supposed to be the worst team in the history of any professional sport, according to all of the talking heads. So as long as we aren't even the worst team in baseball, I'll feel pretty comfortable about flipping all of them the bird. Yeah. One day at flipping the bird, you know, good solid pun there. I don't know if that's what you went for, but <laughs> Orioles magic could be <laughs> Orioles magic could be back at any time. I'm just waiting it out, waiting it out. Orioles magic, feel it happen. But hey, we're going to talk about things that our listeners actually care about, at least on a holistic level. But first, we got to talk about our good friends over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy that you want to go to. If you want a pharmacy that truly cares about you. Now, some of these big chain pharmacies, now they make mistakes. And I'm reading a direct quote here. Amazing how many mistakes happen when you don't staff your pharmacies appropriately and work your employees like farm animals. CVS and Walgreens are both turning pharmacy into fast food. And we are all suffering for it. So if you don't want to be part of the people that suffer for it, look no further. The Main Street Pharmacy, Dr. Jeremy Counts, and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Well, that was a dramatic ad read, my friends, and drama, there's no shortage of it in the world of Virginia Tech Athletics, but this one, I'm not sure if it's as dramatic as some might make it out to be yesterday, and yesterday being Wednesday here in, you know, it's April 8th, so it was April 7th. Kevin Aluma posts on Instagram or on Twitter, whatever it is, that he is maintaining his eligibility at Virginia Tech, but still going to explore his draft options. Now, Kevin Aluma, a second team, very close to being a first team, and I mean two votes away from being a first team, all ACC player this season, is someone that Hokie fans definitely want to see as part of the fold. So the question is, does this guy actually have a realistic shot at the NBA? Now, we're going to preface all of this with Keve, by all indications, a good kid. And if he has the opportunity to play in the NBA, well, he absolutely should go ahead and do it. Go make your money, man. But we're here to be realistic. So, Mike, I'll ask you first. What are the chances that Keve Aluma is not in the Virginia Tech starting lineup come opening game? In 2021, chances are extremely low, in my opinion, that he's not a part of the roster uh, for the opener next year. I think what Keve Aluma is doing is really smart. If you have pro aspirations, go find out what your worth is, right? Go find out, you know, what's what scouts see in you, right? Um, how they see your game at the next level, how they see you translating if you were to make the jump today. You know, what are you good at? What do you need to improve? That's what he's trying to figure out. And I get it. If you have pro aspirations, I'm not even talking about NBA, just professional aspirations, because Kepe Aluma has a professional future. I don't know that it's necessarily in the NBA, but I think he'll have a nice professional career overseas somewhere if he doesn't make it in the league. Um, he's not a guy that I don't see as good enough to play anywhere. I mean, second team all ACC. I mean, he's a good player. Um, do I think he's good enough to play in the NBA right now? No, I don't. I don't think he, 
at his size, because he's around, you know, 6'9", 6'10", um, at the NBA level, you've got to be one or two things. You, you've got to be really big, right, just physically big, which Aluma is not. He's skinny for his size, number one. Um, or number two, you've got to be able to do multiple things at that height, right? You've got to be able to consistently shoot the three from the outside. Aluma has gotten much better at that since he left Wofford and came to Virginia Tech. And I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. But I think that's an area of his game going into next year that can continue to improve. I think if he becomes a consistent three-point shooter and he expands his game outside of 15 feet from the basket, I think he has a chance to be not only a really good college basketball player for the Hokies next season, he already is a really good player, um, but he has a chance to be a great player for Virginia Tech next year. And he has a chance to become a professional and a good professional wherever he ends up. I don't think he's ready for the NBA right now. I think he could potentially get there if he were able to develop a drop-dead knockdown three-point shot. We've seen glimpses of it. We haven't seen it consistently. If he can do it consistently and he can, he can continue to add some bulk and continue to play good defense, I think he has an opportunity. He's just – he's really skilled offensively. Um, he's you know, slides his feet defensively. He's, you know, everybody talks about – how he's a former soccer player that became a running joke because ACC network talked about literally every telecast <laughs> throughout the regular season. It just became a joke for a while. It was a meme, but he is a good defender um, because of his footwork. Now he needs to add bulk because I think that's what we saw in the ACC tournament game against Florida. That's where the Hokies struggled is Aluma and Mutz couldn't stay in front of bigs like Colin Castleton. I think Aluma needs to either add a little bit of bulk or develop a better three point shot. If he has true professional aspirations in the NBA. Yeah, Mike. I mean, I want to emphasize that everything that you just said there, I completely agree with. But for that very reason, you look at the National Basketball Association and you look at the drafts that happen year after year after year. And in the first round, they, you know, what, 32 kids picked? How many of those are freshmen and sophomore? Almost all of them. There's a reason why when you see a good four-year player in college basketball these days, they're considered to be somewhat of a unicorn in, in a sense because the high-end talent, those guys who are in the top 15 to 20 in the recruiting rankings, or at least the ones that pan out, tend to go pro quickly because the NBA wants them now. They want to develop them on their own schedule. They don't want to have to worry about these kids going to class. And as such, a guy like Kevin Aluma at assume he doesn't go this year and we're to wait till next year. That'd be age 23. You don't see a lot of 23 year olds getting drafted these days. I mean, look at Luca Garza. Luca Garza is one of the best players in big 10 history. He is the John Wooden award winner. He is when you were watching regular season college basketball all throughout the year, kind of that poster boy, but look at any mock draft and he's a late second round pick. Now, Partially, that's because of limitations physically that he has, similar to that of Keve Aluma. And a lot of that has to do with age. So if you're Keve Aluma and you want to go to the NBA, why not test those waters? Why not do it now? But at the same time, I mean, I don't want to insult the guy because I do think he's an excellent player. And I was more up in arms than the vast majority of people when he got kind of gypped on that first team LACC this year. But I have a hard time imagining that he's the kind of guy that's going to look at a $10,000 a year G league contract riding the bus through Wilmington, Delaware and say, well, that's a better alternative than coming back to Virginia tech because 
this Mike Young squad has a lot to accomplish. And if he does, by the way, if he does, and the NBA scouts go ahead and look at him and say, yeah, actually, you know, you're, you're an early second, late first, even mid second round pick, go, go ahead and do it. Why not make your money? But we kind of saw this with KJ before and KJ was a very similar player for Virginia tech. It doesn't necessarily always translate. And a radio listener, Wayne in Ohio, one of our best, pointed it out to us earlier today. Malcolm Delaney has made a decent-sized fortune playing basketball overseas. And that very well could be Keve Aluma's future because that's exactly what Zach Lede did. And I, I believe he continues to do so. But I'm not necessarily holding my breath over the idea that Keve Aluma is going to be on the New York Knicks next year or something. Ricky, what, what do you think, man? I think the last two games of the year in Virginia Tech schedule really exposed KVA's ceiling as a player. Um, we saw him struggle against Carolina, who had legitimate talent in the front court and depth in the front court. We saw the same thing with Florida. We saw KVA struggle there. Um, I think KVA Luma is a great player at the college level. I do not think that he will be going to the NBA next year. Uh, I'm with Mike in that I'm, I'm not convinced that he is an NBA caliber player uh, given the way the league is going um, and the kind of de-emphasis of big men. He's not your traditional 6'10", 6'11", back-to-the-basket kind of guy, but he's also not someone that you really want attacking off the bounce. He's not someone that you really want um, – shouldering a large load of the offense there. He's not someone that you want to stick in the corner and pull a big out of the paint so you can space the floor. Um, but that doesn't mean he's not a talented player. It's just he doesn't have the athleticism and the skill set that the NBA is looking for. And I'm not convinced that he is ever going to develop it. So I think he's going to um, explore these opportunities and realize that it's not there right now and he's going to return, and then after next year, I think we'll probably see him go undrafted. He may get some workouts with some teams, but I do agree that KV is probably better off playing overseas in terms of um, maintaining a professional career. Yeah, Rick, I mean, I'm certainly with you, and as I said before, if he goes out and NBA scouts say, oh, we think you have it. Well, then what do we know? But just from the eye test of what we've seen, it's hard for me to imagine that's going to be the case. But I want to go back to something that, Ricky, you and I talked about a few weeks ago on the podcast. And we were talking about kind of the future of Virginia Tech basketball. And we talked about the emphasis that Mike Young and the staff needs to put on depth in the front court when it comes to the transfer portal, because they need to get a look. We saw what happened when Kevin and Luma got in foul trouble in the NCAA tournament. We've seen what's happened under Buzz Williams when every time Kerry Blackshear got a foul, it was hold your breath. Oh my God, what's going to happen? And they went out and did that. They pick up a transfer named Michael Durr, a guy out of South Florida, true seven footer, eight and a half points a game almost eight rebounds per game. So this guy's got experience. Virginia Tech saw him. He put up double-digit points against Virginia Tech, 10 points in that matchup earlier this season. 
Ricky, I got to ask you, you think this guy is an immediate plug and play, maybe not starter, but, but a guy who receives serious minutes. He just judging from what I've seen so far, and um, I will admit that that's not a ton. I think he is a far better option as a secondary big man than Cordell Pemsel. Um, This is someone who played 87 games in three seasons at South Florida. And um, other than a dip in his field goal percentage this year has improved in each of his three seasons. He has become a better rebounder. He is scoring more. He's turning the ball over less. Um, He has become a better player over this time. So you're bringing in a guy who, again, at seven feet, 250, is a man's man, right? And when you have all of those issues um, with your bigs, whether it be Justin Mutz or KV Luma going out with foul trouble, you want someone who can come off the bench and legitimize Virginia Tech's front court still. And I think that this is the exact kind of, of option that can do that. I would have hoped for someone who could, who could have run the floor a bit better. I don't think it's seven feet, 250. Michael Durr is going to be running the floor exceptionally well because I think that that fits the offense. But all things considered, I think this is a pretty damn good addition. And to be quite honest, Mike Young is showing his abilities in the transfer portal almost as good as Buzz Williams did in his time here. I mean, the the Zach Liday, Seth Allen transfers were obviously transcendent for the program. But in terms of supplementing his roster and filling gaps in the roster and adding legitimate, not, not just warm body depth, not just adding Jags, but adding someone who can legitimately contribute to the rotation in a significant way, I think Mike Young's done a pretty damn good job of that. Obviously, the Cartier-Jara transfer did not pan out for a variety of reasons. Um, but all the other ones so far look pretty damn good. So, Mike, I, I got to ask you, and there might be some recency bias here, and, and there is reason for us to have recency bias because we're all kind of on the younger side of things, but at least – in the post-James Johnson era of Virginia Tech basketball, the true big man, not the, the stretch four that Kerry was and that Keve Aluna has become, but the true seven-footer big man simply hasn't been a mainstay in the Virginia Tech offensive scheme under both Buzz and Mike Young. Does the offensive scheme change with Michael Durr on the floor, assuming he gets serious minutes, even as a backup? No, I mean, I don't think the core offensive philosophy changes, but I think this does add versatility that Virginia Tech just hasn't had and hasn't had dating back even to Buzz Williams. I mean, the last time Virginia Tech had a seven-footer on the roster was Johnny Hamilton, and that was the, that was the first year of Buzz Williams. Um, so they really just haven't had that guy um, on the roster at all, Andrew. Does it, it benefits you against a sizable team like Florida State that Virginia Tech has had trouble against over the past few years? Well, yeah, and, and look, like Michael Durr's a guy who averaged almost 9.8 rebounds a game. I, I get it's at South Florida, but he's a, he's a veteran player who is coming in from a school that Virginia Tech has historically done a pretty nice job 
grabbing out the transfer portal. You remember how good Zach Day was in South Florida, albeit a much different player and undersized four. And this is a seven foot, 250 pound center. But, you know, Mike Young has done a really nice job in the transfer portal, like Ricky alluded to. I mean, think about the guys that he's brought in. I mean, you bring in Justin Mutz as a graduate transfer. He makes an immediate impact defensively. And his offense just got better and better as the year went along. You bring in Keve Aluma from Wofford. Um, I know this doesn't count because he was a freshman, but Hunter Couture was committed to Wofford and he joined Mike Young uh, in Blacksburg at Virginia Tech. And he's become a really nice player. So, you know, Mike Young's done a really nice job. And I think what Michael Durr brings to the table is just positional versatility, right? You're able to now go up against Florida State's huge lineups with a true seven footer, a true big man. You're able to defend a guy like Colin Castleton in the NCAA tournament when you're playing a team like Florida, you're able to defend a true big with somebody other than Cordell Pemsel, who might be returning as well, which would be great for Virginia Tech from depth in the front court standpoint. Um, and I don't know if Durr is going to start or not, but what it does is it gives Buzz, it gives Buzz Williams, I'm sorry, gives Mike Young the opportunity to, to, against a bigger lineup to insert a guy like Michael Duran, if he wants to start him against a big team like Florida State with a huge front line. And then you can have a bigger lineup maybe with Mutz and Aluma. Like Mutz got better off the bounce as the year went along. Aluma isn't great off the bounce like Ricky mentioned, but um, I think his more natural position is as a four. So I think he would complement Durr very nicely in the same lineup. So it'll be interesting to see what Mike Young does, but what it what this addition does for Virginia Tech is it gives Mike Young the option of going big at times with Aluma and Mutz and Durr, or if you want to go with Durr and Cordell Pemsel or Durr and Mutz, you know, you got that opportunity now, especially if Cordell Pemsel returns, which I hope he does, because if Pemsel returns and he's able to stay healthy, you now have two guys from a depth standpoint behind Keve Aluma and Justin Mutz you're not afraid to bring off the bench defensively or guys who can grab rebounds to take the onus off of Aluma and Mutz to play these big time miss that they had to play this year. And you want them on the court a bunch. I get that. I, I don't want to take Aluma and Mutz off the floor unless I have to, but you got to give them a breather and you got to give them opportunities uh, to go and, t- and take a rest, which they got worn down against North Carolina. They got worn down in the tournament game against Florida. I think this is a good way to avoid that, right? And adding Durr, I think, fills an immediate need, a true big that Virginia Tech hasn't had in a really long time. Yeah, no, Mike, and I, I completely agree. Versatility and options within the lineup are exactly what this program was looking for. And kudos to Mike Young, because in this modern-day transfer portal era where you see so many guys simply coming in looking for more minutes, they enter that transfer portal looking for more minutes, to get that guy that's going to be not a definite starter by any means, but someone that can come off the bench and play a meaningful role on a team is not necessarily something that everyone in that transfer portal, at least everyone who is worth a damn in that transfer portal is willing to sign up for. And Michael Durr did that. And it's yet another example on top of Storm Murphy, which we've talked about before of Mike Young, optimizing the situation and improving the team considering the circumstances that are college basketball in 2021, where the door is open if you want to leave. But I got to ask you this, Ricky, because I I talked to Mike about this on the radio and I kind of know his opinion, but I want to ask you, 
I know it doesn't mean anything, but I, I, I fall to temptation and I read the way too early top 25 articles every year. I open ESPNs, Virginia Tech ranked at 10, but then I hit Reddit and the people on Reddit are smarter than me. So they read them all and they made a conglomerate of all the way too early top 25 articles. And other than ESPN putting Virginia Tech at 10, none of the other major publications even had Virginia Tech in the top 25, which makes me believe, okay, there are some widely varying expectations for how the Hokies are going to finish this year. So in your mind, whether it be 10 or wildly unranked, what's a fair spot to put the Hokies in expectation-wise going into next season? Based on what we know right now, obviously things can change. I think a fair expectation level would be if if you were to rank more than 25 teams, it would be anywhere from 25 to 40. Um, 10 is 10 is lazy. That's just lazy, lazy stuff from ESPN to, to, to be quite honest. Um, Tech's going to have a lot of returning players um, that oftentimes gets people's attention. And all of a sudden they think, boom, this team's going to be 30 spots better than they otherwise would be. Um, now, I, I do see a scenario in which Virginia Tech becomes a legitimate top 20 team in the country if Storm Murphy is able to um, kind of assimilate into the offense smoothly and efficiently and kind of revolutionize it from the ability to attack from the point guard position, which is obviously something that Tech has lacked in the last two seasons. Um, if Michael Durr is able to provide that legitimate third big depth that I think he can provide, if players stay healthy, if Tyrese Radford is able to make sure all that stuff is behind him and he's ready to go for a full season. I think that there is talent on the team to warrant a top 20 ceiling. I don't think that that's where they're going to be. I do think, again, they're probably going to be in the, the uh, 20 to 40 range, 25 to 40 range. And, to be quite honest, as long as they make the tournament, I think that that's really all that matters um, for the Virginia Tech fan base. And I get that. I get that. I, I just feel like 25 to 30, I, I'm a little bit higher on this team. And maybe Keve Aluma has spoiled us, right? Because Keve Aluma came in as this no-name Wofford transfer and – he did have that year where he sat out and was able to develop a three-point shot. And obviously you stick him in the lineup right away and he becomes one of the best players in the ACC. So you look at Storm Murphy and you got to say, oh, well, well, this guy was the Southern Conference player of the year or basically the Southern Conference player of the year. And to replace Wabiz Fabidi, who, as you mentioned, you know, wasn't necessarily an offensive scoring threat by any means, to put it kindly, or at all. But yes. <laughs> yeah, or at all. And we love Wubi Sabidi. And I hope he stays on the team because, you know, leadership guy and great defense. Totally good stuff. But I, I see this team where, you know, the way that ESPN lined it up, and I know it's basic because Storm Murphy was facing Southern Conference competition, but you have four of your five starters who averaged in double figures last year. And one of them was just on the brink. 
Now you take Hunter Couture off the bench, you add the transfer Durr, and it seems like this is a very good team in an ACC where Roy Williams just retired. There's some attrition in North Carolina. Obviously, Duke's going to be Duke, and they're going to get their good recruits. I, I think Virginia Tech could be very good. Now, do I think the ACC ten- is definitely going to be vulnerable again? Yeah, no, I'm not. For- I'm not convinced that Carolina is going to be back in year one under Hubert Davis. Um, I'm also not convinced that Duke is going to be Duke next year um, in terms of being like a top five team. Virginia, who the hell knows? I don't think Virginia will be really good, but it's hard to imagine a Tony Bennett team not being good. That's fair. But are they going to be like they were this year? Are they going to be a little worse? Are they going to be a little better? I don't really know. Um, same thing with Florida State. So, the ACC is wide open again next year. I, I I don't see a legitimate, overwhelming favorite to win the conference next year. So, if if Virginia Tech if if things fall in the order that the Hokies need them to fall in, Tech could find themselves again in a double buy heading into the ACC tournament. And it could be my chosen narrative because I am biased towards Virginia Tech, and I am, I mean, to some degree, obviously as an alumni. And I do see the success that the team had before the COVID issues. And though they did show vulnerability before the COVID issues, there is a clear difference between how the team played after and before. And it's not that it happened to Virginia Tech. I mean, you look at the way that our national champions, the Baylor Bears, they came out after their COVID break and almost lost to Iowa State, a team that went winless in the Big 12. Iowa State had them on the ropes. And Virginia Tech had to do that twice in the last month of the season. They played like, what, four games in 40 days leading up to that Florida game in in the NCAA tournament? It's hard not to look at the effect that not playing basketball for that long of a period of time as a college basketball team. And, and, you know, though my team might be better than your team, you take my team off the court for 40 days where they can't practice or they have limited practice or they might not even have their entire team it's going to have an impact and, you know, God willing, that's not going to be an issue next year. That's not going to be a problem, but we have these years of extra eligibility for all of our better players. And I, I think this is something that Virginia Tech can really build on. Now, number 10, I think is premature. I yeah. think that number 10 might be the ceiling. Yeah, I think so too. I, I thought 10 was absurdly high. I mean, I think Virginia Tech preseason I know nobody cares about preseason polls, really, but I think no, it pre- doesn't matter. But we're just talking about it. To talk about it. We're going to talk about it anyway. I I enjoy talking about it, so I don't really care. <laughs> Me too. Um, I I think preseason poll wise, I think Virginia Tech is in the back half of the top twenty five, or in others receiving votes. Um, I think they're like a top thirty to thirty five team in in the preseason. Um, I, that's just what I think they are. You got to see how Storm Murphy gels, and you know, just because he was you know, this great score at Wofford doesn't mean that's quickly going to translate to the ACC either. Like we got to see how that works out. I expect him to be very good, but I don't think that's going to just be an absolute slam dunk. So we're going to have to see how that works out. Um, It took Justin Mutz a little while offensively. You'll remember defensively, he was there all season, but offensively took him a little bit. Um, But I think that, you know, a top 15 team, 10 to 15 team is probably Virginia Tech ceiling. And I think if this team really gels, maybe it gets better than that. But I think to have him number 10 going into this year is just insane. I just don't see it. And that was before the Michael Durr transfer. That was when they still had like front court depth issues, which 
you know, we got to see how Dur adapts too. Like this, not necessarily a slam dunk either. So you just got to see how the team gels, but they do have a lot of returning guys. The team's going to be very good. They'll be a tournament team. Anything short, I mean, if they don't make the NCAA tournament, it's going to be, especially after making it this year with a very similar roster, I think it'll be a disappointment. So I expect it to be a tournament team. I expect it to be a top 20 team for most of the year once they get their feet under them. But I think having them at 10 to start the year is a little bit crazy. Yeah, I mean, I view 10 as more of a ceiling, but I, I like to take the optimistic view. And I will say the guy who says 10 as an alumni of the university, as a fan of the team, as someone who really got behind this program and what Mike Young was doing, especially earlier in the season when they were pulling off upsets against teams like Villanova. And I mean, I guess UVA ultimately wasn't that good, but it seemed like an upset at the time. I, I get how you can build off of that because... You know, I grew up a Duke fan, guys, and I, I, I still do have a very soft spot in my heart for Duke. But we see how this one-and-done thing, this one-and-done phenomena, the major coaches are realizing, especially after a team like Baylor wins it this year, and that's after the Villanovas and the Virginias have done it year after year prior. You need veteran leadership. Like There is something to be said not necessarily about having the most raw talent, but having people that know how to play basketball. And, and Virginia Tech is certainly not going to have the most raw talent going into next year, but they're going to have a team that has been there. And the, the tournament experience and the experience of being a team that was at least in the mix, I think is going to be worth something. So yeah, 10 is obviously a stretch. 10 is, I mean, who was 10 to end the season? Iowa, <laughs> right? right. But, and, and I don't think they're there yet. I can envision a situation where they are at the end of next year. That's if the stars align, everything goes perfectly. But this is going to be a good basketball team. And like you guys said, let's build off what we did this year. Expectations were set pretty low and they wildly exceeded them despite every COVID related obstacle that was put in their way. Yeah, but let's build off of it in the sense that the Buzz Williams years did. Yeah, I mean, out of the two major sports, college basketball's rankings matter the least. Like, just have a team that's good enough. I, I get it matters to a degree because of seeding and that sort of thing. But, like, once you get outside of, like, the top five or ten teams in the country and you're outside, like, the one or two line, it's all relative. Like, well, UCLA really, can tell you how much the rankings matter. Oregon State can tell you how much the rankings matter. Right. The it's, all about, it's all about seeding and draw. It's all about seeding and draw. I mean, the the rank the the ranking really doesn't really impact things much at all, um, unless you're just one of the elite teams and you're fighting for a one or a two seed or something like that. Right. But, um, I mean, the, Virginia Tech, I think, definitely has a chance to be better than a ten seed. I thought they were better than a ten seed this year in the tournament. I think the COVID, I, I understood the seeding. I thought the seeding mm -hmm. was fair because of the COVID pause and everything. I, I'm not, I don't have gripes about Tech being a ten seed. I preferred that to an eight or a nine, <laughs> um, but. I think that Tech was better than a 10 seed this year. They got strung out with COVID. That won't be an issue next year. I think this team can be anywhere between like at a ceiling, probably like a four seed. And that like worse, probably where they were this year, a 10 seed. This could be a very good team next year. So that's all that matters, seeding and draw in the NCAA tournament. And that's where Tech is a program should be, should be thinking like long-term, like we just got to make, we're going to try to win the ACC, and if we don't do that, let's let's focus on the NCAA tournament and, like, let's keep making steps forward. You, you can't miss the NCAA tournament. Like, not yeah. this. It's a very similar roster. You can't do it. That would be a disappointment. Yeah. I, I mean, and this is something that, you know, a lot of Tech fans 
might not want to hear, but we go back to that Virginia Tech Florida game in the first round that was, we can look back at the NCAA tournament and say it was one of the most exciting games of the entire tournament. But if that Naheem Aline shot hits at the end of the game and Virginia Tech ultimately ends up a winner, then you have Oral Roberts in the second round. And then the odds are at least somewhat in your favor. And this is no disrespect to Oral Roberts. because Obviously they beat Florida fair and square, but Virginia Tech would have gone into the second round as a double digit favorite to be a sweet 16 team, which would have been the best result at least tied for in school history. It's all about the draw, baby. It's all about the draw. But I got to go back to the transfer portal, guys, because it's something that kind of confused me a little bit. And call me naive, and maybe I just need some understanding here. Jalen Cohn, when, when the team was doing poorly, it was, uh, well, Jalen Cohn is hurt. It was COVID and Jalen Cohn. Jalen Cohn, as Re- Ricky and I discussed prior, you know, log jam of very talented shooters. It's understandable why he left. He puts out a list of schools that he he's looking at. It includes big time programs, Oklahoma state, Indiana to a lesser degree, but still, you know, in power five conferences, Penn state, Nebraska, and Iowa state. He ultimately lands at Northern Arizona who honestly, many of our listeners might not have known existed until the transfer happened. Could you justify why a guy like Jalen Cohn, who, succeeded at the ACC level as a spot-up shooter would want to go down to not even a mid-major, what I would define as a low major in Northern Arizona, a team that isn't really even a NCAA tournament competitor with their conference. So I'm going to say this in the most respectful way possible. In, in my past experiences, when a player or a recruit names a list of schools that they are interested in or schools that are interested in them. And then they pick a program on that list that is far worse than the other programs. It's generally because the other programs weren't actually interested. Um, That's, that's been my experience covering recruiting for two cycles um, in terms of going to Northern Arizona, he's probably going to get a ton of playing time. I can't imagine that Northern Arizona's basketball program has uh, a ton of talent. Um, He'll be, certainly be the premier player on Northern Arizona. Yes, I would assume. And one of the things working you and I against, would be though, also <laughs> one of the Sorry. things working against Jalen is that he's five ten and all he can do is shoot. One of the things that that will always those of us that follow the program closely, one of the things we'll always wonder is what if Jalen had learned how to attack the basket? What if Jalen had learned how to run the two man game efficiently? What if Jalen had learned how to create his own shot rather than becoming a spot up shooter? And maybe that's something he'll be able to do against lesser competition. It certainly could be because he was able to do it a little bit in, in high school, but in terms of playing at the ACC level, Jalen was nothing more than a shooter. Now he was a decent shooter. He was far less efficient this past season than, uh, but when he was on, he was on. Well, and that's how most shooters are, right? They're streaky. And he was definitely streaky this year. And, and that resulted in a more than 
10 percentage point drop in his three point percentage this year, uh, which is pretty wild. So to be quite honest, I don't think tech's going to miss Jalen Cohn all that much. I think the getting a guy like Darius Maddox, another year in the program, I think he'll be a guard that they can rely on. Storm Murphy is going to be someone that they can rely on. Obviously Tyrese Radford's going to be back. Um, Naheem Aline is going to be back. I'm not really worried about the ability to shoot it from the perimeter next year. And um, I don't really have an issue with Jalen leaving. Now, obviously you would rather have a, a spot up shooter than not have a spot up shooter. But if you had to pick a player on the roster to leave, I'm not sure that Jalen Cohn wouldn't be one of the first ones that you would pick. I'm so I agree about the Northern Arizona thing. Like, and again, my... I want to I want to make this clear. I'm not I'm not trying to say that um, Jalen was misleading people, but a lot of times in recruiting, you hear from big time programs, and these big time programs may be interested in you but they never actually pull the trigger. Right. And all I want to say is it would not shock me if that's what happened in this case. Well, I I mean, at the end of the day, the kid wanted to play and he looked at the situation where he saw Naheem Aline, Hunter Couture, Storm Murphy coming in. That's a log jam. That's a log jam of guards. And I mean, if I was a division one college basketball player, and you're putting in, I mean, you, you essentially give up your, your personal life. You still got to go to school like any other college student, but then you have everything that comes with basketball. So I understand why anyone, whether it be Jalen Cohn or Joe Pamaseal or whoever, want to put themselves in a situation where they're going to get the most playing time. And I mean, you see in a situation like, I mean, on the football side with Hendon Hooker, they recruit him to come play quarterback there. And then who else comes out of the transfer portal? I believe it was the Missouri quarterback. Now he's in another quarterback competition. He's in the same spot. At least he made the safe bet. At least he knows that at Northern Arizona, he's going to be the premier guy. I mean, he could, I wouldn't be surprised to see Jalen Conlin conference player of the year in that conference every single year for the next three. Yeah. So I, I also like, I think Ricky, Ricky's point about, you know, what schools were actually interested. That's well taken because that happens in recruiting all the time. Um, and it's, you know, it'll continue to happen. I think another potential part of this and maybe something that influenced Jalen Cohn's decision-making is let's say he had interest in those schools, right? Or they had interest in him. They might not have want, in fact, I'm sure that several of them saw Jalen Cohn in a similar role to the one that he had in Blacksburg with Mike Young. Spot up shooter off the bench. Hey, you're going to play a ton at Indiana. You're going to play a ton at Iowa State. You're going to play a ton at Oklahoma State, but you're going to have the same role you had in Blacksburg. The reason why Jalen Cohn transferred away from Mike Young and Virginia Tech wasn't because he didn't like Mike Young, wasn't because he didn't like the coaching staff or the players, didn't enjoy the program, didn't like Blacksburg itself. In fact, his statement as he left if you're going to take him at his word it wasn't about any of that it wasn't about any of that for Joe Bambasil he just wanted more playing time it wasn't about oh I, I'm just unhappy here that wasn't the case for Jalen Cohn 
he wanted to show that he could be more of an all-around player, not just a shooter. Now, the whole different part of the conversation is the one that we're having where I don't see him as an all-around player. I see him as a three-point specialist jump shooter at five foot 10, 180 pounds. I don't see him as a guy who's dynamic. 180 is generous. Right. Hey, hey. <laughs> five, five, 10 is generous. But I, I think we're all in agreement that he kind of is who he is, at least at the ACC level. And I think he is who he is, quite honestly, at the Power Five level, at any of those other schools that he mentioned that had interest in him or that he had interest in, right? So I don't doubt that those schools were interested in him. I don't doubt that they had a scholarship open to give him. I don't really doubt that. My whole thing is, like, I don't think they were going to give him the role that he wanted. I think Northern Arizona gives him the opportunity to show that he can be more of an all-around player that he believes that he is. Um, and he's going to have the opportunity, whether or not he sees it as a whole other thing. Um, but we've seen mid-major players come up big um, in the NCAA tournament. They make a name for themselves. They, they end up, you know, going on to have good professional careers, either in the NBA or overseas. I just... I have a hard time seeing that being the, being the case with Jalen because I think he kind of is who he is. He's an outstanding shooter. Mike Young said he was the best shooter in the program. No reason for me to doubt that. Hunter Couture came on strong uh, this year, but um, Jalen Cohn is an outstanding shooter. I think he's a very good player. Um, he's He was good at the Power 5 level for what he was, but for the role that he wants, he wasn't going to be able to get that in Blacksburg. And I think he will be able to get that in Northern Arizona where he's going to get more playing time. Yeah, certainly. Well, first of all, if Jalen Cohn is 180 pounds, which is exactly what I weigh, then maybe I'll feel a little bit better about myself. But certainly he will be a premier player in the Big Sky Conference. And best of luck to him because, I mean, I certainly enjoyed watching him play here at Virginia Tech. And at, at times, though he was streaky, and we must admit he was streaky, he had games where – there was a zero in, in front of that divider on that three-point line, but there were games where it, it, he was shooting nearly 80%. And Virginia Tech sometimes kind of came and went as he went this season, which was interesting. But at the end of the day, you got to do what's best for you. And if he thinks that going all the way out West and, and being the premier guy at a program like Northern Arizona, he's a lumberjack now, which is kind of cool. Great mascot. You think you can evolve from Hokie? You can. <laughs> it'll, it'll be exciting to watch him. We're definitely rooting for him. But I, I want to turn to the football side before we uh, check out here, gentlemen. The quarterback situation is something that I've been very curious about because we know that last year, we kind of had the spoils of the riches. We knew we had Hendon. We had Braxton Burmeister as a very solid backup. And that was something that we debated at length, whether Braxton even deserved a shot. And then, of course, Quincy Patterson, who had come in situationally because he had to and won games in 2019. Well, now Quincy and Hendon are gone. You got Braxton, and what do you got behind him? You got Knox Kadem, a guy who was a JMU commit, and he played valiantly in the Clemson game. You have Connor Blumrick, who never saw really a lick of playing time at Texas A&M. And then, of course, you have Taj Bullock, a, a three-star with all kinds of potential, but in a COVID year when you're not even an early enrollee, it's hard to imagine a situation where that guy can come in and thrive. That's a redshirt year that you want. So in terms of the backup situation at Virginia Tech, what are we going to do? <laughs> 
you don't want the answer to that, Andrew. Um, the quarterback situation's not very good. I, I don't know how else to put it. Like, I, I have been a very, very outspoken critic of Braxton Burmeister's ability, and um, I'm not all that confident in Knox Kadem's ability either. And then the guy that they brought in as their – solution to losing Hendon Hooker and Quincy Patterson is now the third string quarterback and reminder folks the guy was playing special teams last year so this is what this is what Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson signed up for I don't the know the word what, is know, versatility we got a quarterback with I, versatility yeah I don't I don't know what you want me to say like th- this is what Justin Fuente wanted this is what Justin Fuente signed up for so this is what Justin Fuente is going to get and if he runs Braxton Burmeister into the ground like he ran Hendon Hooker into the ground too often, then you're going to get Knox Kadem playing like significant playing time. And in like October. Yeah. And, and folks, remember this Knox Kadem was not a take or for like 99% of the recruiting cycle. Okay. The only reason that Knox Kadem got a scholarship offer was because Hendon Hooker went in the transfer portal the first time. That was when Knox Caden became a take because Virginia Tech needed a quarterback and he was the next guy on the board. And then Hendon came back and obviously is gone now. But Virginia Tech didn't think that Knox Caden was capable or should have deserved a, a spot on this in this program originally. So... Even their original their original eval of their backup quarterback was that he's not an ACC level quarterback. So I don't know, man. <laughs> so so, it, okay, so I have I have I have almost almost zero optimism for the upcoming football season. Like I feel infinitely more optimistic about almost every single athletic program at Virginia Tech than the football program. What about the Baltimore Orioles? I, I feel better about the direction of the Baltimore Orioles than I do about Virginia Tech football. I can see, I can, I can visualize the path that the Orioles can take to become a 90-win team again. I cannot visualize a path that gets Virginia Tech to win the ACC Coastal. I just can't do it. So, Ricky, I, I, I will say, I was going to rag on you because I was going to say, well, Ricky's not optimistic about the football program. Surprise, surprise. That being said, yeah. last year you were completely right, and everything fell apart in front of our very <laughs> I, eyes. I mean, like, so this this stuff is not complicated. Like Virginia Tech has a guy starting at quarterback that was just all over the place last year. Hey, he okay, he wants the football Braxton game. Had, he wants the football games. What was his record as a starting quarterback? I don't even I don't even effing know and I don't even care. I watched the guy play football and he's not a good quarterback. He's just not. Okay. Braxton Burmeister was not a good quarterback last year. He showed signs of being a decent quarterback. And then the other times he just blew it away. And then you got Knox Kadem, who God love him, man. Knox Kadem would be a a pretty stand like decent good quarterback at like James he'd have Madison. rings. He, where he was committed by the he'd way. He'd have rings which, which at JMU. He was originally he'd be putting rings on. He was originally supposed to go to JMU. Like I think Knox Cadman could make things happen at JMU, and certainly not who was it? Ben DiNucci, who was there, former Pitt quarterback. Um, yeah, 
And then you got Connor Blumrick. Again, the guy was playing special teams. They they got their 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 write off. The reason they took Connor Blumrick was because they got a good eval, quote unquote, from the guy who didn't even think he could play quarterback at Texas A&M, Daryl Dickey. What the hell are you doing? Like, Taj Bullock might be one of the best quarterbacks on the roster the second he gets on campus. And the kid was a three-star freshman from New Jersey. Sorry, Andrew. Hey, it's okay. <laughs> good high school, though. Like, no, school, school, right. You're right, you're right. He, he, he didn't hey, go to a good high school. Nick, but Nick New, Fitzpatrick. Jersey, New Jersey has some good football players, but it's not like he was one of the top players in Texas or the top players in Georgia yeah. or the top yeah, players fair. in Florida, right? So – Taj Bullock might be the best damn quarterback on the roster the second he arrives. Like, yeah. And, and it, that's not good. Yeah. I like I, he's I, got, he's got a bright future. That's not the problem. Like, I don't like, I don't, I don't care about the good depth at defensive tackle, which I, I wrote about a couple weeks ago. Like that's great. The, the offense, the, the offense is going to stink. Okay. The offense is not going to be very good. I'm not confident in Jalen Holston being a an every down running back, someone that you can give the ball to and, and rely to get you four or five yards when you need it. I'm not confident in the receiving core outside of Trey Turner and Davion Robinson. I'm still waiting to what see. What about James Mitchell? Off- He's pretty good. I haven't gotten to tight ends yet. Okay. Hold on a second. The <laughs> offensive line, I'm not confident that they can replace Christian Darisaw. Luke Tenuta looked lost at right tackle sometimes, and he's going to be playing left tackle this year. At tight end, behind James Mitchell, I mean, Nick Gallo was okay. He's more of a Dalton Keene blocker guy, and he's not as good. Drake Dulius is a receiving tight end who doesn't make the impact that James Mitchell makes. And then you got at, at, at the head of the snake is a quarterback who is just all or nothing in Braxton Burmeister. I'm sorry. I don't think this offense is going to be very good. So I'm I'm a little bit higher on a little bit higher on Burmeister than Ricky is, but I the overall takeaway on the quarterback situation at Virginia Tech um, is that if Justin Fuente and Brad Cornelson were comfortable with the quarterback depth, there would be an open competition in fall camp for the starting quarterback job, like there has been each of the last five years in Blacksburg, where whether or not it's a true competition or not, that's open for debate. But Justin Fuente has always said, oh, yeah, we're going to have an open competition at quarterback. The fact that he's not saying that this year says a lot about the quarterback depth and a lot about the fact that it's not because Braxton Burmeister has blown everyone away. I can guarantee you that. Yeah, but Fuente just doesn't trust the depth of the quarterback position. And if he did, there would be more of an open competition. He's not going to have that. Burmeister's going to be the guy. Oh, so first of all, you know, I, I don't have time to get into a large argument because we have all summer to argue. But I will say that if I was a college athlete at Virginia Tech, I would listen to every Virginia Tech podcast because I am self-absorbed. And I would hope that Braxton Burmeister wakes up every morning at four o'clock in the morning before he works out with a Ricky LeBlue dartboard because that is his biggest hater. <laughs> look, I'm not a hater, okay? Like I, I, know, I, I know, I'm messing I with you, no obviously. I have doubt that Braxton is an upstanding kid. I, I don't know. I he could, be, he could be a saint for all I know. I'm sure he, he busts his ass and I'm sure he tries really hard and 
I'm sure that he's a good guy to have in the locker room. But considering what I've seen for both from him in Oregon and him at Virginia Tech, I'm not confident that he's going to be a good starting quarterback in Blacksburg. I'm not. That's fine. That's fair. That's your opinion. Because again, he has not shown anything to blow anyone away. But secondly, Taj Bullock, when you said he's a three-star recruit from New Jersey, first of all, it's disrespectful to the state of New Jersey, one of the best football states in the country. But in terms of the, and you can look at the, you, okay, it's not Texas okay, or California say, like, or Florida. What, what classifies as best? Because you've got Texas, top Florida. Top seven, top seven. Okay, I, I, I can probably listen to that because, but I was going to say Texas, Florida, Georgia, California. Um, those are the ones that immediately come to mind. Yeah, I mean, Carolina, and, then, and then once you, and then like, once you get, once you get into the other ones, it, it's a year by year thing. But New Jersey yeah. has some good talent. That being said, I don't know how good Taj Billick is, but it's hard for me to take evals seriously, like from rivals and stuff this year because the COVID year made everything. So, so the kid could easily be really bad, but he could also be really good. Like he, the star rankings. You know, I, I always find it to be a fun exercise to go through the star rankings three or four years later and say, who panned out, who didn't? Whose name can I recognize as, you know, the 80th overall recruit, the 150th overall recruit? Did they make it to the NFL? Did, were they a all-conference player? And I think that this year it's going to be all over the board because it's basically their pre-junior year, junior year evaluations. And I think that... To some degree, the 22 class will be in the same boat. But, you know, it, it is what it is with this quarterback room. But I, I got to ask you for the last question, gentlemen. Like, everyone I've talked to, when I say, what's the solution here? They say, Justin Fuentes got to go in the portal and get another quarterback. Now, the portal, as I talked about on the basketball end, is full of people looking for playing time. When we talked about Michael Durr, I said it was – a feat by Mike Young to go get a center who wasn't necessarily concerned with being the starting center that plays, you know, 30 minutes a game. How do you go about here in April and get a quarterback who is satisfied with being that backup? It's not going to happen. They're not going to get one. I mean, not gonna get one. It, it, it would it would take someone leaving after spring ball. Agree. And and Agreed. there's no way to predict who those people are going to be because I'm rolling through two four sevens version of the of the transfer portal now, and there actually isn't anyone left available. Okay, that's not true. I found someone. Um, like, but there's almost no one left. Like everyone's found a home already. Right. And who's Virginia Tech? Like, Virginia Tech's going to be comfortable from an actual, like, numbers. Uh, there's no way they're comfortable with the actual true proven depth of the position, but they're going to be comfortable with the numbers that they have at quarterback, considering the two quarterbacks they have verbally committed for 2022, Alex Orjai, who committed yesterday, um, as well as Devin Farrell from Georgia. So they got two quarterbacks committed verbally for 2022. 2021, you just got Taj Bullock, and now you have three current quarterbacks on the roster. So they're not going to be openly seeking a quarterback unless one leaves, unless they're going to put a fifth quarterback on scholarship, um, which I don't necessarily see them doing. So that becomes the problem with why did they, you know, bring Blumrick on as quarterback in the first place, right? It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. 
because now you're in a situation where like a quarterback spot needs to come open on this roster unless Virginia Tech wants to carry a fifth scholarship quarterback which I'm not sure they're going to do so unless they see Blumrick playing another position which I mean I don't know he's a third string quarterback at this point Fuente said today that Knox Hayden would be number two if the season started tomorrow so one of those guys in the quarterback room needs to leave in theory for Virginia Tech to entertain bringing a fifth quarterback on in my opinion maybe I'm wrong maybe they have a different view on it but who's that going to be? I mean, Knox Kadem's not going anywhere. If he has a chance to be a backup, you see how they run quarterbacks in Blacksburg, like Ricky said. I mean, he has a chance to be quarterback in October with the way that we run quarterbacks and the way that Braxton Burmeister has been banged up in the past. So no reason for Kadem to leave. Blumbrick just got here and Bullock's a true freshman. So where's that spot going to come from? So, so real quick, I would be absolutely floored if both Devin Farrell and Alex Orgi sign. Well, like, that's an argument. Farrell. Farrell like, might not be a quarterback either. And, which, yeah, and, and that could be true as well. But yeah, very rarely do you see two quarterbacks sign together now. I just think that after last year, and I, I know that having seen the numbers on this podcast, outside of interviewing Bruce Smith, Demetrius Davis's decommitment is the most popular podcast that we've ever had. And Ricky did in fact call that. Before it happened, why is this guy hanging on to this? I'm such a hater. I'm but just no, a no, hater. No, 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 no. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. You're, you were right. But the our friend and Michael knows him. Dave Perks always says, and he might be onto something. I'll start caring about him when they sign the piece of paper. But unfortunately, for types like us, we, we don't have the luxury to do that. <laughs> in all seriousness, that's the direction I'm going in too. Call me, call me in December. Like, it's it's great that they're getting like I, I looked at Alex Orgi's offer list because he, he committed today, and his offer list is pretty decent, right? He's got a lot of Power Five programs on here. Um, just judging from his highlight tape, which again is not a a legitimate film reel of anyone wasn't super impressed but like the kids got offers from baylor houston michigan um oklahoma supposedly had an offer nebraska uva tcu like there's a lot of power five programs on here but again call me in december i mean at the end of the day you can be on november 5th tweeting out that come join me at Virginia Tech or come join me at Virginia or come join me at Duke or Maryland or Texas or Cal. And the next day, some other dude decommits, you get the call and you're out. I mean, it's the reality of the situation. And the kids have the right to do what's best for them. Don't get me wrong. But as a invested person in the program, it's hard for me to like get my heart set on these kids until they show up on day one and that's in an environment where I know they can leave after the first year. But I mean, that's the nature of college sports these days, but at at the same time, maybe that's to a program like Virginia Tech's advantage where the transfer portal, I am a firm believer that the transfer portal has done Virginia Tech more right than it's done wrong. But at the end of the day, it's recruiting as much as I love it and as much as it's a great topic of conversation, it doesn't get me going the way it would have three, four years ago. It's not going to either. I mean, fan, look, this is going to be a, a, 
controversial among some people, but fans probably need to stop getting emotionally attached to these recruits before they sign. No kidding. Because they're, they have every right to leave and we're seeing it more and more frequently. Kids are decommitting. Kids commit super, super early. And then they realize that they committed too early. They mature in a year's time. Their, their interests change. Their wants change the way that they think through complex problems changes and they come to a different conclusion. So as a fan of, of a program, you honestly shouldn't waste too much time getting all worked up about who is committed to a class 12 months before signing day. And, and I'll take the darker side of it. When a guy is tweeting, you know, I'm considering Virginia tech or, you know, if for some reason you're listening to this and you're not a fan of Virginia tech, you're a fan of, Wisconsin. I'm about to commit to go Badgers. Go Badgers for sure. Uh, (laughs) Like, get me to five thousand followers. Yeah. What What do you think that's all about? Come on. I'm considering this school, so get me to five thousand followers. They just want to increase their clout. I mean, kids will be kids, and, and that's fine. And they have every right to do it. I have never in my life been as desired as these high school stars are when they're being recruited. You will because, be one day, Andrew. I believe in you. Oh, yeah, I, I, I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. But when everyone is telling you that you're God's gift to the earth and you have all these options, you indeed have all these options and all these people telling you that they will lead you to the promised land. But then when things go slightly wrong and then you make a decision but the nature of the game is that all the people that were otherwise in your ear still have the opportunity to send you that text message. Oh, Justin Fuentes looking at Baylor. Oh, did you see how they played this year? And in the ears of a 17-year-old kid, that can make an impact, whether it's for Virginia Tech or against Virginia Tech, because Virginia Tech, I'm sure, does that too. When we get commits who just flipped at the last second. How do you think that happened? It was someone on the staff playing the exact same game. So we're playing the same game that Auburn played when they took Demetrius Davis. But it's the reality. Recruiting is a interesting part of college football. And I just try to choose not to get too emotionally invested in it as much as I can, at least, because, you know, in these dry months of college sports, there's not much else to talk about. Speaking of which, I think we were going to talk about recruiting today, but we can table that for another day because we've been talking for a long time, gentlemen. It's been great to be back together. Yes, yes, it has. Um, Andrew, I really do think that you're going to get to that point one day. All of us can hope that one day we will be as sought after as Michael McDaniel, someone who just gets the people going. Yes. No, indeed. Yeah. One day, one day, maybe we will reach that, that point in our lives. But until then, we're just going to continue grinding out quality content. And... Superman wears Mike McDaniel underwear. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a hope. sight I didn't want to see. <laughs> I can only hope that's the case. <laughs> I guess. Um, 
<laughs> the All ending right. of this podcast has completely gone to hell. <laughs> well, hey, well, the good news is our, our people who have been fans of this podcast for a long time probably appreciate the stupidness that has happened over the course of the last, I guess, hour. We've been at it for a long time. But if you haven't, welcome aboard. This is the Hooky Hangover podcast brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy. And I always have to say, because Jeremy, I've known Jeremy for a couple of years now, and I, I've always known Jeremy as someone who works smarter, not harder. Not recently, he's working smart and hard, vaccinating the public. He's doing the best he can. I really got to appreciate that you know, as we move past this pandemic. But Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg, be a neighbor, not a number. Don't go to CVS or Walgreens, go to Main Street Pharmacy, Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. All right, Michael McDaniel and Ricky LeBlue, you have two picks. Who's winning the Masters? I, it's, uh, we're recording this after day one. My pre yes, that, that that is, and some people won't listen till Monday, so they'll probably think we're, yeah, but yes. My pre, my pre Masters pick was Justin Thomas. He struggled a bit today, but I think my top, my top two picks are Justin Thomas or Jordan Spieth. I know it sounds chalky, but they're playing good golf. So, Rick, I, I'm not convinced that Justin Rose is going to, be able to sustain that. I think he's going to come back to the field a little bit. And if that's the case, it opens it up wide open. Um, give me, uh, give me Webb Simpson or John Rom. Oh, all right. I like Rom's that. at even. And this is like the first time he hasn't shot under par in the masters in like forever. So I wouldn't shock me if he jumps up there. And Webb Simpson's already at two under. So all it takes is for Justin Rose to go like plus two tomorrow and Webb could go even and it's a, basically a new ball game. So so the Webb Simpson pick, my boy, Chase Muma, as some of our listeners know, the former uh, fourth string quarterback at Virginia Tech, now working at Wake Forest as a recruiter, buying into the Wake Forest. He loves Webb Simpson now, so... I like it. He says Webb Simpson's going to win every tournament, so I, I can get behind <laughs> that. I'm going to go with uh, my boy, Colin Morikawa. I, I, I think he has put himself in decent position. I like his game kind of all around, but I also was born in the great country, the great kingdom of Japan. So as such, Hideki Matsuyama brings it home, puts on the green jacket, this is a terrible prediction, I'm sure, and he'll probably finish in like 25th. But after day one, Hideki Matsuyama, your master's champion. All right, folks, thank you so much for listening. We appreciate all of you, and we are going to be coming back with action. A lot more content coming your way. We're going to have a draft preview for all our Virginia Tech guys. And then beyond that, once we get into the late spring, early summer we're going to break things down position by position. We're going to look at this football team for what it is and what it can be. So subscribe, rate, review, follow Mike McDaniel on Twitter at Mike McDaniel SOS. Don't worry. He's not in trouble. He just writes for sons of Saturday.com. Ricky LeBlue is at Ricky LeBlue. And I am at Andrew Alex radio. So have fun this weekend, guys. Enjoy the masters. Enjoy spring. Hope is abound in the New River Valley and beyond. And until then, my friend, 
Go Hokies.